2: Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
3: This is Playing Around with Paige Renee.
4: Hey 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 everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host Paige Renee. We have Teddy G with us today. Teddy, I'm just gonna get into it because I played golf for the first time yesterday in a while. Like, actually play. Normally, I'll just go out lately, and I've just been shooting, you know, like content on the range or the practice area. But I went and I actually played on the golf course. And do I have a story for you? So. I I hate slow players. It is just something that just makes me so mad and so frustrated. And I understand, especially when you're at a public golf course, like you're going to get stuck behind people who are either like new golfers, and which is great because I'm all about growing the game. But I got stuck behind this foursome who... (laughs) You know, normally you just wait for the fairway to clear before you tee off. They waited for the green to clear. The whole hole had to be completely open before they started playing. It was ridiculous. And so we would like literally wait for them on the tee box and everyone would be gone. And then they would tee off. And not only that, they would hit four golf balls, like each of them. And just were, like, whacking it around. And it was the most frustrating thing I have ever seen in my entire life.
3: Did you narc on them and get the ranger involved? Because I'm not somebody who's, like, a big tattletale. So, first, I probably would have fired a warning shot, would have tried to, you know miss a green on a par three and hit it close to their tee box or something to get their attention. And then if that didn't do it, probably take the appropriate measures because I think I hate slow play even more than you do page.
4: Well, I did that. So there's a lot of elevation on changes on the course that I played. It's such a fun golf course. So on number 10, they were playing from the front tees and I was playing from the back tees. And you can't even see them down there because of the elevation change. And so I tee off not thinking anyone is there because again, the hole is clear. There is no one in the line of sight that I, like literally from miles and miles, I can't see anyone. So I tee off and then all of a sudden I see them underneath, I hear them and they haven't even teed off yet. And so they go up and they hit my golf ball. What? They took- my golf ball. They just took it. They're like, where did this ball come from? I have no idea. They had no idea that I was even behind them hitting. They didn't hear anything.
3: You hit over their heads into their fairway. That was hilarious.
4: I, I literally no idea, but they just took my golf ball.
3: So then what happened? Did you drive up there?
4: No, we drove in. I was done. After t- after that 10th hole, I was done playing for the day. I just like, couldn't handle it anymore.
3: So are you very non-confrontational? You don't feel comfortable driving up to them and being like, guys, I got to be somewhere. Let's move.
4: No, I, I hate doing that. And especially not that I think that everyone in golf knows who I am, because I think that's very narcissistic of me to think that, but only 90% if, of people, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's just say they didn't know who I am and I come up to them and I have a little bit of an attitude. They're going to go around and tell everyone that I'm a bitch. And I'm like, I just don't want to deal with that. It's not the end of the world. Who cares? Like I can get more golf balls, but it's just the fact that I feel like there needs to be like an educational process for new golfers because it was a man, his wife and their two kids. And oh, I hate tough. that because it's like it's awesome that it's this, you know, family time together and they looked like they were having so much fun. But at the same time, I I was miserable the entire round because I was sitting behind just watching them one mess up the golf course and two just play extremely slow. And so that's that fine balance of like, okay, we want to grow the game, but how do we do it with still, you know, keeping pace of play and having people know the rules and being respectful of the golf course. And there, again, I feel like there needs to be like some kind of educational process for like new golfers for when they go out on the golf course for the first time that they know what to do and that they're, they know the rules.
3: So, um, right. Bryson, who I like, and you tend not to has ruined (laughs) it for, for a lot of people because he takes sometimes four minutes to putt. So people think that's normal. Not good. People are watching televised golf and think that's how they should do it. Um, But quick question. Were you in a twosome or how big was your group?
4: Just a twosome. So
3: why didn't you just ask to play through?
4: Because they didn't like, they didn't let us. And then the way it was like spaced out was that I would then be running into the group in front of them. And then they would probably be hitting into me. And so it was just one of those days where it's like, it was very grouped together, but they just kept waiting for the whole hole to clear before they would even go play.
3: All right, real quick. So I'm a native New Yorker. I'm like the most impatient person alive. So what I would do is I would probably drive my card up to like maybe five steps of them. I would slam on the brakes so they would really know that I was there. And then I'd say, hey, guys, do you mind if I play through? <laughs> And then, you know, at that point, even if they said no, they would, they would really be rushing, maybe have an unpleasant time and then get off the golf course. And then, you know, I would have achieved my mission.
4: But that's hard because again, it's like, I don't want to make their golf experience bad because if they are new golfers and this is the first time they're on the golf course and I'm coming up and ruining their experience, then they're never going to come back. Like, I don't want that to happen either. And I think that's what's so hard about it. And I think yeah. that, that's where people don't want to grow the game because they don't want new golfers on the golf course because it slows it down. They don't know what they're doing and it makes your round a lot more frustrating. So I see that side of it, but at the same time, it's like we do need more people to get into the game and to grow the game. And so that's where I struggle back and forth. It's like, should I have said something? Is that like on me to educate them to do it? Or is that the golf course's responsibility? Is that the the marshal's responsibility? Like whose responsibility is it to make sure people one feel comfortable, but they also know the rules. And I think once people know the rules, then they will be more comfortable too. Cause I know when I'm someplace new and I don't know what I'm doing, I would like for someone to tell me like, Hey, here's how you do it. But I feel like with golf and people are just so condescending about it. And that's something I'm very sensitive to. So I don't want to do that to other people.
3: Well, we, we want new golfers, but we don't <laughs> want new slow golfers. I that's know. really what it doesn't need. <laughs> So um, I've done this with people in my own group that are occasionally slow that I don't play with a lot. I would just be like, guys, come on. It's not that complicated. You must keep up with the group in front of you. It's not about looking behind you and saying, hey, they're a half a hole behind. No, 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 no. You have to be a half hole behind the group in front of you. And if you're not, that's on you. Start picking up, play double bogey max. It's ain't, ain't the fucking British Open. Pick up your ball and move on. And next time, I think you should give a little friendly lecture to the newbies because now they don't know that they screwed up and they're going to be ruining it for for other people.
4: I know. And earlier in the round two, I hit into the group in front of me and it was a couple and the guy was really mad at me. And so I was like, okay, great. Like, It's hard enough for me to find a golf course that I can go and shoot content on. I don't need people (laughs) complaining that I'm hitting into them and then I'm telling them to speed up. So right off the bat, I was already like, okay, I'm going to try not to cause as much conflict as possible. Cause I, I tend to do that. I tend, even though I don't like to cause conflict, I tend to always be involved in some type of drama. And I just like, try to just to stay back as far as possible on the golf course. Cause again, I don't want people saying that I'm a bitch and I don't want to get in trouble with the golf course. And it's just like this whole thing, but that's so frustrating where it's like, you can't go out to public golf courses anymore. And have anything less than a six hour round. Like that is unacceptable. unacceptable. I think either The golf courses need to do something about it or yeah. like why pack that many people on the golf course anyways, because they're never going to come back because it's not fun.
3: This is one of the great things about being a guy. I never get worried about being labeled a bitch. <laughs> I don't care. As I tell people, there's no crime in being bad. The only crime is in being slow. Yeah. And this is something, if you're going to ruin it for everybody, I'm going to get a marshal, or I'm really going to take it into my own hands. So I think you should do the same next time.
4: Well, I mean, and it goes back to what you said, two people see JB Holmes or Bryson DeChambeau taking their sweet-ass time on the golf course, and there's no penalties. There's no consequence to the action. So I feel almost like, especially young junior golfers, they see this and they think, like that's what I need to do to be successful. Yes. And I feel like that takes away from what makes golf so great. I don't like the fact that they have greens books. I don't like the fact that they take forever when they're trying to figure out the yardages. I think like it takes away some of the instinct of playing the game. And I I think the PGA tour needs to do something about it. Be a lot more strict about it.
3: So the Honda classic wasn't awesome. It wasn't close. Uh, It was not a big name leaderboard, but Matt Jones who won it is a very fast player. And he's Australian like our, uh, like the guys in charge at PointsBet, who we love. So good for Matt Jones. I love when fast players win, because they are setting the right example.
4: Yeah, I, I loved when Brooks was winning all the majors, and he was yes. calling out the slow players, too. I thought that <laughs> yes. was like the greatest thing ever, which is so sad. We can get into this later, but Brooks with his knee surgery. What a surprise. I wasn't expecting that.
3: This is disappointing. So has he already said no master's?
4: He literally was under the knife. So I, I don't think he can, you know, <laughs> bounce back that quickly.
3: Limp out there, pull a tiger. <laughs> pull a tiger. Woods, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is sad. I mean, he, he obviously won an event. Uh, he won Scottsdale, right?
4: He did. He won the waste management.
3: Yeah. 40 to one and uh, blazed through. That was amazing. So we thought we'd have Brooks, uh, a, a strong, healthy Brooks Kepka for the year. Um, so the fact that he was playing well. It's one thing if you get surgery when you're in a slump and, you know, I'm sure a guy's kind of like, eh, I can take six weeks off anyway. I'm not making any money. But he was playing well, so he must really need the surgery.
4: Yeah, it must be a lot of pain. But Teddy, enough about me and my golf shenanigans. What were you up to this weekend?
3: Wow, I watched so much basketball. It was fantastic. Um, just a glorious few days. And I won a bunch on Oral Roberts, one on Ohio. <laughs> Uh, you know, bracket is busted because of Illinois, but was totally fine with that because I love Loyola. I'm friendly with Porter Moser, the coach. Um, Saturday went out to Crestwood, which is like an hour away, 45 minutes away from Lakeview where I live near the in the city. And uh, um, it's really cool. It's called Club Hawthorne Crestwood Points Bet Sportsbook. It's got a long name. It's got... 24 75 inch TVs. And I I just love the fact that there are real live sports books around Chicago. I mean, it's not Vegas. Mm -hmm. It's not the win. um, It's not fancy, but it's a great place, you know, to watch a game, drink and hang out. So I had a group of about 12 people out there.
4: Nice. I saw you were actually getting some heat on social media about that though.
3: (laughs) There were uh, the COVID cops out um, on Saturday. It's funny. I, I tweeted a picture out because I'm trying to, you know, publicize the place. And uh, I didn't even consider the ramifications of putting that photo on Twitter, where a bunch of my friends were, you know, sit, sitting on a, you know, kind of a couch, basically watching ball. And uh, definitely, there were some people upset. And one guy who's like, oh, I'm going to get you in trouble. You're not following the regulations. And that's not really true. I mean, In terms of the masking, it was basically like restaurant rules, which is when you're up, uh, when you're going to the bathroom or walking around, you're wearing a mask. When you're seated, you're not wearing a mask. Um, I I, I see the photo now. I I see what people are talking about because we are kind of close to each other. I guess my thing would be, look, if you're not comfortable being in an indoor setting um, next to your friends or next to strangers, don't go right? I mean, I think we've reached a point now, we've had this pandemic for a year, we're pretty well educated on what is risky and what is not risky. Like a lot of people in my group already had COVID. Some people in my group already got vaccinated. And then some people probably felt like, I have a strong immune system, and I'm not going to get COVID. And like the numbers in Illinois now, the positivity rate is like two and a half percent. So like, the people who are saying, like, how dare you? Like, That's fine. That's totally cool that you're all about masking up and you don't want to go in a public place like that uh, without a lot of social distancing. But like then watch the games in your house. Like I, I wouldn't say that you should be telling people when and where they should go out.
4: You know, I'm more on the other side of it. I've been very strict throughout this entire pandemic. Even now, I haven't been vaccinated yet. So I'm still, you know, very cautious. I haven't done any indoor dining. I barely will like see my parents every time we do we're double masked up and so we are very very strict and so part of me it's like yes people can live their life and they can do whatever they want but when you are at risk of infecting someone else because you're you may call it carelessness or that you just don't see it as that big of a deal but let's say you go there and you get infected, and then you infect my dad, my dad dies, that's a really hard thing to take because he's at high risk. And even I'm at high risk because I have asthma. And so you see, you know, the spring breakers out in Miami right now just causing (laughs) a ruckus. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, literally, (laughs) what the fuck are you doing? Like, we're not at the point yet where we're out of this. And it's like, why would you put everyone else in danger? For you, it's like, okay, it's 12 people. You all know each other. Maybe you weren't like right next to each other, but then you see what's happening in Miami and other places. And it's like, it's still, it it never even happened. Like, let's get to the point where everyone is vaccinated and let's get to the point where everyone does feel comfortable. And then it's not that big of a deal, but it's still upsetting to even see like my friends going out and partying and doing all the stuff. And it's like, they were doing that throughout the entire pandemic too. And I'm like, again, what the fuck are you doing?
3: Well, did they get COVID? Did any of them yes. get sick? And
4: then everyone gets COVID and they're like, how did I get COVID? I'm like, because you're not being safe, you dumbasses. Like, <laughs> what do you expect? And it's fine. It's like, yeah, you're young. You don't think it's going to affect you. You have a strong yeah. immune system. But I I don't have that luxury. I have asthma. My dad is also at high risk and my mom. And it's like, I don't want to be responsible for that. And so but, that's but probably that's been my the whole point. thing. And that's why I, I don't go out. But it's like, I'm making all these sacrifices in my life to keep everyone around me safe. And they can get infected by some dumbass who doesn't give a shit. Like, that is what really, like, bothers me the most.
3: But that's my point. Like, why are they going to get infected if they're staying in their home? I mean, they're not going to be partying, you know, in, in South Beach.
4: But if they, like, go to the grocery store to get, you know, things to, like, keep them alive. I mean, they need food and water. And like, there's still things that they have to do where they have to go out in public, you could still get infected by someone who was partying last weekend, you guys touch the same things. And then my dad has COVID. And it's just like, that's the thing that really bothers me. So I see both sides of it. But I'm definitely more sensitive to it than I would say almost everyone else, especially now because of the fact of like, we're both at high risk. And I'm just that type of person too, where like I'm a germaphobe. I don't like being sick. I don't like being around other people who just are careless. And I, it just, there's something about it just like rubs me the wrong way. And I was like, it feels like the person just doesn't care about anyone else but themselves. It's it's such like a selfish act sometimes.
3: It's tricky because like, Early on in the pandemic, when they were banning people from going to the beach, it was like actually you should be encouraging people yeah. <laughs> to go to the beach because the whole outdoor factor. And, and so there are a lot of different ways to look at it. Like it's not good that there are tens of thousands or a hundred thousands of people partying, you know, at spring break in South Beach. But it's better that they're outside than inside. If they're gonna party somewhere, you'd rather they be outdoors. You know, the irony in our house is my wife got COVID and she's the most careful of the four of us. (laughs) So I consider myself low risk. Um, I have a good immune system, I think. And I, I feel comfortable being there at that sports book. But for you or your parents, like if you don't want to take a risk, don't take a risk. Watch it on a big screen at home.
4: I know. It's just the whole thing is like so annoying that like some people have to just like stop their whole lives and be so careful about it when other people, they don't have to worry about it or they just care not to worry about it. And it's like, don't you care about other people and other people's families and their health and their happiness. And it's just they don't. And it always just comes back to that where people like when you really think about it to their core, we're all very selfish and we only care about like what we're doing and like our little bubble. And I think that's just been amplified by this whole pandemic just to see how people really just don't care about anyone else. They only care about themselves.
3: Man, that is so dark, Paige.
4: That's how I think. That's how my brain works. It's not a good place. It's not fun being up here. It's just like a yeah. pessimistic landfill of shit, twenty four seven in my mind.
3: <laughs> wow, that was that was an amazing phraseology. I, I will say this: where I am in Chicago, big city, uh, we don't have like crazy people who refuse to wear a mask in a grocery store. Everybody realizes that's what you do. Um, don't be an asshole. Wear a mask indoors. I think it's just the other spots where there's some debate. Um, and now I don't know if people exactly know the rules and restaurants.
4: Yeah. I think everyone's just like so over it. They're like, whatever. Like it's been a year. Like who cares at this point, which I don't know. But they're, you'll st- transition into something that I also didn't care about <laughs> is the Honda Classic. So after this <laughs> break, we're going to get into that. The only thing exciting about the Honda Classic were the shirts coming off. Ow, ow! I mean, balls in the water. I mean, guys stripping down. I didn't hate that part of it, but everything else. I mean, I didn't spend a second watching the Honda Classic this week. It was a no-name leaderboard. The only guy I was rooting for, Shane Lowry. Shit the bed on Saturday, which seems to be a trend for me. The guys I like can't play on Saturday. But besides that, it was a real sleeper of a tournament.
3: Yeah, it was not exciting. I also had Shane Lowry at 30 to one. I was tailing you, as they say, in the betting industry. So I was hoping for big things. Uh, my, my points bet name a bet did hit Steve Stricker, US Ryder Cup captain, took out Patty Harrington, the European Ryder Cup captain. That was cool. My boy Phil Mickelson got a top 40, little bit there, but it was uh, a bit of a struggle to watch Sunday, with the exception of the fact that, like, don't blame the golf course because the golf course. Yeah, crazy results and double bogeys and guys stripping down and going topless. And, um, you know, we got guys in their in their skivvies, as they used to say, like in their, you know, their boxer briefs or whatever that was. Uh, and, and hundreds of water balls. I mean, these are the best players in the world. And I think they were close to 300 balls in the water. So, like, don't blame PGA National. I feel like if this event had a good field, we would all be watching.
4: Well, they would get good fields before when the players then moved. The Honda Classic was after it and it's now, I mean, no one seems to play anymore, which is unfortunate, but we had great moments at that golf course. One with Justin Thomas getting the guy kicked out when he said, get your ball in the bunker. Like there's things that have been happening at that golf course and it's a classic golf course I've played there before and it's extremely difficult and it does set up really well for drama. So that begs the question, do we move the Honda Classic to another time and date?
3: That's the thing. And by the way, Wesley Bryan, I should give him a shout out. He was the one who was in his boxer briefs uh, for those two shots. What the
4: fuck was he doing? Why did he just not take his shirt off? If you guys saw the picture of him, he like tied his shirt like (laughs) underneath. And so it looked like he it was just like covering his shoulders. And it's like, what are you doing? Just take it off. If you're going to take everything off, why would you tuck your shirt just underneath? It was such a weirdo move.
3: I love when, when golfers take their clothes off, um, prefer women, but we'll settle for men. I think secretly like, you know, okay. women. Clearly, can, I
4: mean, I built my brand off of that, so I know it works. I'm like, guys, come on, strip it. It's like, take it all off, strip down.
3: Right. Everybody watching this podcast is saying, Paige, hey, we want to get you out to PGA national. We want you to hook one right on the <laughs> bank, right there and you wearing white. So, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta strip down. No, I mean, like women, I think always admit that they're looking at other women's bodies and sizing themselves up, but guys do that too. So that's why I like it when these guys strip down, you know, we're kind of hoping they have bad bodies so we can say, okay, I stack up pretty, pretty well to that guy, or my golf tan is not as hideous (laughs) as that guy's. So that's another reason that this golf course should remain in terms of different time of the year. That's a tricky one. It's like, You can't expect the top players to play every single week, so you're just going to have, like, dog fields sometimes.
4: Well, I feel like for off weeks, because you are going to get off weeks when, you know, the best players in the world just aren't playing, what can the PGA Tour do to make it more interesting? Hmm. I always thought that they can bring new commentators in, maybe – focus a little bit more on digital content, maybe work with some influencers, but you can make these tournaments exciting. And I almost just feel like they're like, well, it's an off week. We're just going to let it go.
3: <laughs> you know, I just think when you have a leaderboard stuffed with guys who the average fan doesn't know, I, I don't know what you can do about it. Like this transitions to this week's event, which is match play. You know, they're there in in Austin and I give the tour credit Obviously a tie-in to March Madness and everybody being obsessed with brackets. So that's a smart idea. You know, break up the monotony of just a stroke play every single week by having what's coming up this week. Plus it starts Wednesday, so there's some novelty there.
4: I love the WGC match play event. I've been out there a couple times. Um, Austin is so much fun. It's such a great place. Love that golf course too. Such a classic match play golf course, it, golf course with the risk reward. They have the drivable par four, a couple drivable or reachable. Part fives and two. It's just a really fun golf course. And I love that it's different. I would say match play is by far my favorite. And I feel like if all tournaments were match play, I definitely would be on the tour because I'm a significantly better match play player than I am a stroke play player.
3: Why? Tell. I, I, I got to hear about this.
4: I think it's because it's head to head and That's how I kind of grew up with, I have a very competitive family and it's just, that feels like competition to me. It's like Mm -hmm. you're going up against one player. That's who you have to beat to move on. And I love that. With stroke play, when you're in your little group, it doesn't matter. It's like you can't compare yourself to someone else in your group because someone five groups ahead of you could be leading the tournament and you have no idea. And it's just, it doesn't feel the same to me. That's why I love like a Sunday final round when, you know, there's two guys in the final group that feels more head to head. It kind of turns into more of a match play scenario. But I almost wish that golf was a little bit more like the match play. And that's why you see like events like the WGC Thrive or the Ryder Cup. It's that that head-to-head competition, which we see in all other sports, but you don't have that in golf. It's you against the field. And I hated that. I absolutely hated that. And I just didn't feel like it was like a true sport. Like it, it didn't feel as like, like that doggy dog, like, you know, like, I want to destroy this other person because you're not looking them in the eye. But with match play, you are. And I, and like, you can thrive off of that energy, which I could never do with stroke play.
3: Well, you and I, when we play, it will certainly be match play. (laughs) When I play with the fellas, it is always some form of match play because mostly because I don't want to have to put a nine on the card, especially for myself. So, (laughs) you know, if you have some disastrous hole, you only lose one versus if you were playing stroke play and can go behind four or five shots. But yeah, I mean, match play is really cool because right. Instead of you versus the golf course, it's you versus an opponent. And there's so much more strategy that comes into play. If your opponent dumps one into the bunker, you know, do you play it safe and go for the fat part of the green? Um, I think it also lends itself to more risky plays sometimes. If you're two down, if you're dormy, you know, you got 239 over water, you can't lay up. You have to go for it. So I I like it from a novelty perspective.
4: Yeah, it is so much fun. Again, I just wish everything was match play. Like, it it just... It'd make make golf so much better. I think more people would enjoy playing golf too, especially tournament golf, not just in pros, but like amateur events if it was all match play.
3: But TV sometimes hates it because the match ends on the 13th hole and then what are they going to put on TV? So, you know, you've got this where, or sometimes courses are like, well, our most interesting holes are 16, 17, 18, but the match might not get to it. So now we're going to reconfigure it so it's six you know seven eight nine so i understand why they don't do it more often just from a programming perspective there's um there's a lot of mystery involved <music>
4: Speaking of signature holes, obviously the bear trap was a big story at the Honda Classic. Do you think it's one of the hardest stretch of holes in the PGA tour?
3: Yeah, but yesterday I on like seventeen, those guys were hitting what? Uh Matt Matt Jones hit a sand wedge in. He had like one forty eight.
4: Weren't they actually playing, like, under par, too? Like, they always say it's so hard, and then I think they were actually playing under par. Yeah, I
3: mean, (laughs) no, look, the fact that there were that many water balls just goes to show that it is legitimate. If these guys are, you know, hitting 60 to 70 in the water a day, um, then the course is one. But I was surprised how short 17 was playing. Those guys are firing wedges in there. Um, That said, they make it look easy. Um, for the rest of us, you know, we'd be hitting eight irons in and just praying that that, that they stay dry. <laughs> so no, I think, uh, I think the course did its job.
4: I still think one of the best stretch of holes is 15 or 16, 17 and 18 at TPC Sawgrass. I, oh, yeah. I love a good closing finish that's really difficult like i want my 18th hole to be as hard as possible so i think it makes it more fun too especially watching the guys tee off and it's like are they gonna hit in the water are they not like i love to see that kind of stress on their face and like that tension that they have like on the final hole
3: that's the gold standard of finishing holes i mean we saw it you know a couple of weeks ago like bryson is finally ma- able to make an eagle on sunday at 16. So he suddenly goes, I think, from three down to one down or maybe four to two. But that possibility exists where that's like almost like a par four and a half. And then, of course, 17. Love you, ben On You're my guy. <laughs> Anything can happen at 17. You know, you can make anywhere from a two to 11 or really a one to 11. And then 18 was incredible, too, because Justin Thomas hit the perfect drive that was two feet away from being wet. So we can't all have 16 to 18 at Sawgrass. But that is Probably the best three-hole stretch on tour.
4: I mean, it was hard also for the Honda Classic because they had to go up against March Madness, where that's where all of my attention has been. So let's go straight into that because (laughs) what? Like, this tournament has been (laughs) wild wild. I mean, all of the upsets, brackets are just dumpster fires. Like it is intense, but I love it. Like, do you think March Madness is the best sporting event in all of sports?
3: Yeah, so you sounded like Amber from Seth Meyers show <laughs> with her
4: what?
2: All those different
3: versions which I love. She's brilliant as is he. Yeah, um, for my money, I think so because it stretches out so long. It gives you so much entertainment. Um, I mean today is Monday there are games that are going to be going on it's also kind of a strange year where the first weekend instead of the Thursday to Sunday it's Friday to Monday and the next weekend is Saturday to Tuesday so everybody's sort of like freaked out about like when can I blow off work and you know when can I be a total slacker and that kind of thing but it's an amazing event and then this year has been wild because like the underdogs are crushing it if you bet on every if you just said screw it i'm betting on every underdog against the spread you'd be rich because i mean they've been covering like maybe two-thirds of the time
4: yeah i'm really mad at you and we're just gonna get this out of the way now because i the one underdog that i bet on you fucked it up for me big time iona i had iona beating alabama and they were doing it like they (laughs) were they had it second half, too. They were just, like, one or two ahead. And all of a sudden, uh-huh. Teddy G drops a tweet and says, oh, Paige, you like your Iona pick? And immediately after that, immediately, they just never scored a point ever again after that.
3: I- I'm so proud of the timing <laughs> of that tweet. I-, I mean, it really was incredible. So, this out. I
4: saw it, and I was like, fuck. You like that sucks. That sucks.
3: I, I mean, I'm I'm so thrilled when I can make you angry like this because oh. I mean at this point, it's really not a coincidence. I do have some like insane power um to jinx stuff.
4: But just over me and my pets. Yeah. It's just it's just me. And that's what like really pisses me off. I don't know. And we had this deal after the last time this mm-hmm. happened that you would not do anything. Yeah. Until, until it comes to fruition. And then you're just like, no, you know what? I don't want to. I am bored, so I'm going to ruin Paige's life.
3: So the thing with a deal is that like both sides have to agree on something. So if one <laughs> side hasn't agreed to the deal, it's actually not a deal. So quick, oh. quick review, the score at that point was Iona 40, Alabama 39. So really, your guys were looking good. Let's go to the final score. Alabama 68, Iona 55. so let's see your guys scored only 15 points the rest of the game and it was just the most perfectly timed tweet and you know hashtag roll tide i you know i want to know why i did it Paige. because i have alabama in um my final four so i had to use my bullet there i needed alabama to win the game
4: that was the only thing i had left going for me yeah because my bracket was over after Oral Roberts beat at Ohio State. I had Ohio State going to the lead eight. I, so, fun fact there's certain words that I can't say. Loyola, 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 Loyola. Could you just stop?
3: I thought you were going to say oral. I thought that was going to be like a word that's banned from the podcast. I thought that's where you were headed.
4: Loyola.
3: Really? Was that that hard? I know you can't <laughs> do it difficult. and make it rain. Free breaths, threes, three breaths, all, all that stuff. That was a little challenging. Loyola.
4: No, the lo- loyal. The lo- <laughs> I can't. I literally can't say it. And you say and sister Jean. Sister Jean. So they be Illinois, which really fucked up my bra because I had Illinois winning the whole thing. Yeah. Syracuse defeated San Diego State, which really sucks. We was doing a live uh, watch party for that one. We had to change it because they were just getting destroyed. North Texas beat Purdue. Uh, Oregon State defeated Tennessee. Wisconsin defeated North Carolina. And Rutgers defeated Clemson. So, I mean, all... We had this talk earlier. Is it the higher seeds or lower seeds? So we're going
3: with, the, so like Baylor as a number one is a high seed. That's what we decided. It is kind of counterintuitive because number one, the, the number one is is not a high number, but that's what we're going with. Paige, hey, you should have asked me for a Big Ten scouting report. Now, I, I, I also fell into the Illinois trap. I had the Illini going to the finals losing to Gonzaga, but I was not high on Purdue, Ohio State not a big believer in Michigan. The big 10 kind of sucks in the tournament, but (laughs) Loyola, I love those guys. Porter Moser is the coach there. He's an amazing dude. He has built that program up. He, I've played golf with him. The funny thing about him with golf is he shows up the first time and his bag is like from 1987. He's got like the worst clubs I've ever seen, even (laughs) though he's, you know, makes a million dollars a year. It's like Porter, man, (laughs)
0: invest in some
3: new stuff. He's really fun on the golf course. So, um, yeah, when you visit, maybe we'll get him out for a run.
4: Out of all of the lower seeds, who do you think is going to give it the best run?
3: Well, I mean, Oral Roberts is, is good. And now by the time this publishes, we will know if uh, Ohio has beaten Creighton. But I have a futures bet on Ohio 8-1 to one, to reach the Sweet 16. I am taking him outright against Creighton. So, again, by the time this airs, I'm either going to look like a dope or really smart. Um, I got I had LSU beating Michigan, same thing, that's going to that that's happening on Monday. There's still uh there's still a lot of Cinderella's out there. What about Loyola? I mean, that is going to be fascinating to see if Loyola now can uh can take out Oregon State. That's a double Cinderella game with um a 12 seed against an 8 seed.
4: Just as fascinating as me trying to say Loyola. Loyola. Well, Loyola.
3: La the Ramblers. L- L- the Ramblers.
4: La Loya. That's
3: actually a perfect name for you, Ramblers.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> People are always like, "Hey, Paige, why don't you do anything with like major publications or like TV?" That is why, because they're gonna, I'd be put on a game, and I'd be like, well, "La
3: <laughs> If you just can spit out Chicago, that's close enough. Now this is this is the only team we have left.
4: Oh man. I don't know what I was gonna ask next. I'm just trying to. i like, <laughs> just like in my head, be like well, like try to say it normally.
3: <laughs> are there are there any other ones you can't say? Can you say Gonzaga?
4: So that is one actually that I say Gonzaga, but I know it's Gonzaga, but I think Gonzaga sounds better than Gonzaga.
3: Yeah, that's a big one too. Um, Nevada, Nevada, people get very upset about that if you say it wrong. I'm not totally clear. I think it's. Nevada? How do you say that? Nevada. Yeah, some people don't. Yeah, Nevada, Nevada gets Nevada. people very upset. Yeah, or absolutely. Nevada. I think you can say. You can probably say Houston. You can probably pull that one off.
4: I, I think I can do Houston. I think all the you. other ones I'm fine. It's just that LaLoyal, LaLoyal La <laughs> La one that just really fucks me up. But we we are seeing a lot of lower seeds defeat higher seeds, and we had this conversation um, right as the pandemic was happening, and golf just started to come back. And there were no fans at the events. And we were seeing underdogs start to win either for the first time or first-time winners or rookies win. And a lot of people were saying it's because the crowds aren't there. Mm. And so the more experienced golfers didn't have that advantage Mm. because they're so used to playing in front of crowds. And so like the rookies or the people who have never been in that position before, they didn't feel the pressure as much because they didn't have the adrenaline from the fans. So are we seeing that in this March Madness tournament where, you know, the higher seeds don't have that energy from their, you know, very large fan bases and it's more on even playing ground? It's
3: hard to know what the effect is because I think you can make the opposite case because normally during the NCAA tournament, you know, you've got four teams in an area, And everybody's rooting for the underdog naturally because, you know, they want to see the higher, the higher seated team, the better team knocked out. So I think it helps the underdogs more when there's a crowd when they're feeling the momentum, you know, maybe they're at a school with only 6,000 people. So their gym isn't too loud. So that whole thing, who knows who it's benefiting, but uh, there were so many great games, so many overtime games, so many wild comebacks. Like, Just the betting opportunities this year has been amazing. Like I've become a huge fan of live betting. um, And once we get you, you know, hooked on sports betting, I think that's going to be the way to go. Like in the Houston Rutgers game last night with four minutes left, you could have gotten seven to one odds that Houston was going to win the game and then Houston won the game and that's a two seed. So I've been loving this tournament from a betting perspective.
4: There has just been so much with this tournament obviously with all the upsets but just like the energy that's around March yeah. Madness I think when you compare it to you know other big sport events like the Masters or the Super Bowl or the Olympics there's just something so special and unique about March Madness and I think it goes back to like that head to head it's like one in it, that's it like it, every game really matters and I love that so much that it's like you could go in and one shot at it and you're, you're out. Like I almost wish the WGC, which is around Robin was more like the one and you're done.
3: Right. 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 I mean, the great thing about the turn. I mean, there's so many great things about the tournament, but one, one of them is like, most of these guys are not going to play professional basketball, or they're certainly not going to play in the NBA. So like the whole thing about one shiny moment, it's, it's real like Paul Jesperson from Northern Iowa, who who had this incredible buzzer beater in, I think, 2016 to beat Texas. Like, he's famous forever in that state. It doesn't matter that he never played in the NBA. Uh, think about Buddy Beheim, Jim Beheim's kid who, you know, most of high school, nobody thought he was a real prospect, and then he blossomed, and then Syracuse offered him. I mean, Gonzaga ended up offering him too, so he was obviously a good player coming out of prep school or high school. But now he's like, a total legend. He's, he's helping his dad to the sweet 16. Like this is stuff that people are never going to forget. So right now there's a million NBA games going on right now. And I don't give a shit about them because you know, what is long lasting and what matters with these NCAA tournament games.
4: There's almost like an innocence around it because these kids are playing for just pride and for their school and they're not playing you know for millions and millions of dollars and I think you can almost see that reflect in like the way that they react to certain things and when they're celebrating especially for like the seniors like this is such a big powerful moment in their lives like you're saying a lot of them won't go on and play professionally and this is like the last hurrah for them and you can see that like raw emotion in everything that they do and even when the loss you can see just the defeat and sometimes when you're watching pro sports it's like, oh, they're fine. They're going to go to their million-dollar mansions and drive their Ferrari away. And it's like they don't live and die by the wins and the losses, but here in this tournament, you can actually see them like living and breathing, dying over every single small moment during all of the games, which is so powerful to see.
3: One of the secrets that nobody really talks about is like when an NBA or NHL playoff series ends, Both teams are happy. The winning team has moved on and, you know, can try to win a championship and makes more money. And the losing team, their season is over and they get to go home. And they've been grinding for seven or eight months. (laughs) And everybody's happy at the end of a series, pretty much. But with this, I mean, these poor kids who say like miss free throws down the stretch or um, you know the Ohio State kids were getting flack on social media. This is like Wayne Washington had chances to win the game and tie the game, and you just feel awful for them because they can't get it back. I mean, like the the University of Illinois kids, like Ayodasumu and uh, Kofi Coburn, like they had bad games, and that's it. I mean, they could go back to Illinois, but they're not going to go back to Illinois, and yeah. they just pretty much have to live with it the rest of their lives. That. They had a chance to be heroes in March, and they fell through, and and it fell through for them.
4: Do you think there's also like a certain connection with your alma mater too? Because I feel like when you looked at the Ohio State kids who were getting a lot of flack on social media, it felt way more intense than. I don't know, um, a football player for, yeah. yeah, Detroit or whatever. Yeah. Like it, there's just something different about like your college and your school and that like team pride that is yeah. very intense. Like the hate that he was getting just for, you know, having a bad game.
3: Yeah. I mean, like it, it's tough for the players. Cause at their 10 year, 20 year reunion, you know, they'll still be thinking about the things that didn't go <laughs> well and fans take it so personally, like, it's funny, all my in-laws are Canadians. So when I was trying to explain to them a bunch of years ago, when I was switching from covering baseball to college football, and they thought that was a demotion because they did not really have college football there. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to explain like, no, 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 no. College football is amazing because like the kids have chosen to go to that school. So they weren't just drafted or traded or whatever. Like they've chosen to go there. So it means so much more. It means more to the players and the fans and alma maters, alumni, I should say.
4: Yeah, I have a funny story about that. So my mom, she was a professional ballet dancer. And so she spent most of her time in Canada. And so she kind of had the same mentality where she didn't understand how big college athletics was. And so my dad, he played um, college football at Pitt. And after my mom was um, at the she was in Pittsburgh dancing, and she had to take a class at Penn State or be on campus at Penn State. And so she's like, I want to fit in, so I'm going to wear a football jersey. And it was a pit football jersey that she wore on the Penn State campus. It was like walking around, and she came back to my dad and was like – They're so mean to me. (laughs) They were yelling at me and like spitting at me and saying all these rude things. And like, she's like, is this like how it is on campus? Like, I I don't know. And my dad was like, what did you wear? And she's like, oh, I wore your pit, you know, like warm up jersey. And he's like, well, there you go.
3: (laughs) Pretty smart. Maybe she just should have borrowed the like sweatshirt from John Belushi in uh, Animal House that just says college.
4: (laughs) College, yeah.
3: (laughs) Then she would be not offending
4: any fans. Yeah. She learned that the hard way. Um, But even like when my sister was going to school, she just didn't get that. Like, I I feel like you have to like grow up in this environment to get
3: where did she go to school? Uh,
4: she, She didn't go to college. So she was dancing professionally. And so she just never went to college. And so she didn't really like understand the recruiting process or like how important it was. And so my sister ended up going to Stanford and like we, she just didn't, it's great. You know, like she went to Stanford, but it took her a while to like realize like, how different it is for like certain universities and the prestige that it holds and oh. she just like didn't understand it so it was it was interesting
3: you i mean you have those states like say alabama where it's like everybody is either alabama or auburn yeah or i'm sure like you know oklahoma or iowa where it's these basically two giant schools in a state and everybody is for one or the other like texas used to do that with like ut and a and f Um, And now you've got all these other great schools, including Abilene Christian, (laughs) which took down Texas. So yeah, there's nothing quite like the alma mater pride. And the Loyola's are feeling it. Not only did they advance to the Sweet 16, but Loyola took out Illinois, which is just amazing for them. And now Loyola can say we're the number one school in the state. We beat the number one seeds and uh, Illinois just has to wear it.
4: I think you just keep saying that because you want me to say a little loyal again, over and over again. Um, But we do have to talk about the controversy before even the tournament started with um, the women complaining. I don't even want to say complaining, showcasing the the difference between the weight rooms. And so um, there was a... Um, athlete for Oregon, I believe she posted on social media. She's a big TikTok following, yes, that the men's weight room, which was incredible, it had you know 20 plus platforms, all the weights you could ask for, all the space, and then the women's <laughs> weight room had basically seven, ten weights and some yoga mats, and that was it. And she said that. You know, the NCAA said it wasn't a a cost issue, it was a space issue, and then they showed all of the space that they have, and they ended up getting, you know, a pretty nice weight room all after all of that. But it was a bit shocking. I think that I, it it was laughable how bad the difference was.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the NCAA is a total clown college, and of all the things they've screwed up over the years, this has got to be top five or top ten. So thanks to uh, Sedona Prince for Using social media for good, um, it's just inexcusable. Look, obviously, we all know the men's tournament makes more money, but like the women's basketball tournament is a very, very big deal. It is nationally televised, there are tons of people who follow it. It's not like the fencing championships that, you know, Mm -hmm. where I'm sorry, where if they put you up in a hotel, you should probably say thank you because everybody's losing money on fencing. Women's basketball is a big deal um more than ever we have to be aware of gender inequalities and uh, i'm so glad she called them out it's just total like laziness and cheapness on the on the part of the ncaa to, to to do such a poor job it was also food like of course the men's teams get these great spreads and then the women's team gets you know they open some plastic container for some nasty ass meatloaf so um do better ncaa
4: I see both sides on this. So, when I was playing D1 golf at San Diego State, I was also on the student advisory committee. And I was always very frustrated because the gear that we would get compared to the gear that the football team or the basketball team would get was embarrassing. Like, we would only have one pair of golf shoes for the entire season. And most people don't know that we play 36 holes. And usually, so we got 36 and 18, so we could do a two-day tournament instead of a three-day tournament. And so if it was raining or pouring, we didn't have any other pairs of shoes to wear and just for the ones that we had. And we just didn't really get all that much. And so I would constantly complain, and we didn't even have any budget for an assistant coach. So it it insane. And then you look at the football team, who at that time were shit. They were complete dog shit. And they would get like 10 backpacks and 20 shirts. And they had like, I know that there was a much bigger team than our team, but they had like 10 um, strength trainers and all these coaches. And I'm like, you guys suck. And we're actually a top 20 program and we get nothing. And so I would always, I would complain and they would bring out a pie chart and it was how much money would, you know, each team bring into the school. And basketball, since our team is always really good at basketball, except for when they play Syracuse, um, it was a huge chunk of the money that would go back into the university. And so when you see it that way, you're like, okay, that makes sense. We're not bringing any money into the school. So why would you then turn around and give us, you know, anything extra because we're not, we're not contributing to the school. And so I do see it that way. It's like, yeah, maybe they're producing money, but they're not producing as much anywhere close to the March Madness men's tournament. So should they have more than just a triangle of weights? Definitely. But at the same time, it's like you can't ask for the same thing when you're not, you don't have the numbers and the money that you're giving back. So it's it's you can't, it's almost like you can't complain if you're not, you know, contributing on your part.
3: I think it's like slightly different. So within a school, no doubt football and men's basketball are going to get the best stuff and the nicest hotels and the charter, the chartered flights and the most coaches. And yes, I understand that more. Um, but in this case, like it's a men versus women issue. So I think the problem would be like at San Diego state where the men with the men golfers getting more spikes? Were they getting more shoes than you? Like at that point, I don't think that's cool because I I doubt your men's golf team is bringing in, you know, that much more revenue than your women's. And it came up also with like the U S women's national soccer team, which I believe brings in more revenue than the men. And they were still being treated shabbily. So, right. I definitely don't expect like on a college campus for everything to be equal, but if it's just a gender issue, that's bullshit.
4: Yeah, and it's weird at college too because you can have outside donors. So the men's team always had like a pretty good donor. So they always had more than we had, but it was just always frustrating to see that like we we were one of the best in in San Diego, state like out of athletics. Like yeah. we were ranked really high and we just never we just never got anything. But it was funny also to hear the arguments of people saying like Well, women don't need to get bulky, so that's why they're not. They don't need the weights, and it's like, oh my god, these are like (laughs) D one athletes who are probably going to play professionally, who like can lift, like outlift, like these average guys who are saying this. It's just when you see like those comments, it puts in perspective. Be like, okay, yeah, like it's still a little sexist. Like that's not okay. Like for guys, honestly, think that these female athletes who are the best in the world at like what they do aren't going to like lift weights because they like are going to look too bulky, not feminine enough. It's bizarre.
3: This is why you guys turned to the trick shot videos, right? To try to get some, uh, some support.
4: Yeah. So we ended up doing a trick shot, uh, video cause they had this contest and whoever won the contest and it got like 10,000, $20,000 contest never even happened, but we did, <laughs> we needed more money because we couldn't pay for an assistant coach. And so when I was there for, you know, two and a half years, we went through four or five assistant coaches because
3: what they, were you doing to them? Why, why did they keep leaving?
4: It wasn't paid. <laughs> so they had to literally like, it was a lot of time and they weren't getting any yeah. money. And it's like, why are we putting all, all of our time into doing this? If like, you're never going to give us a paid position. It's crazy. And then you look, like I said, then you look at football and then they get all of this stuff. And I remember one year they went to some like random ass bowl game and after like having almost like a losing season. And they were like PlayStations. They were like flexing on everyone that they went to a bowl game. And I'm like, you guys fucking suck. Like sit down. You're the joke of the school. You've done nothing. Stop flexing on all of us when we actually won a oh. conference championship. And it was like it was such a joke. Like they just like walked around like they were the best things ever because the athletic department treats them that sure. way.
3: How did they handle when you were giving them shit?
4: Um, well, I tutored a lot of them, so <laughs> they they were fine. But like, I didn't hang out with too many of them, to be honest. Um, I, I hung out with like the guys who were, like walk-ons because I liked them better, the scrappy guys. But um, yeah. yeah, they were they were just cooler. Um, I didn't have much of a social life. Honestly, I know you don't Rager, believe that. come on. <laughs> now we hang out with the baseball team the most, I would say. So it's like each sport would hang out with like kind of the same type of sport. So like yeah. basketball and volleyball will always hang out together, football and sorority girls. And then it sport? was like <laughs> chasing pussy. It's a sport. And you had uh, uh, <laughs> like where, soccer that, and you soccer.
3: you are allowable 20 hours a week chasing. Absolutely. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> soccer and soccer. And then it was always like softball, golf, and then baseball would kind of all hang out. So everyone kind of had like their little, their groups and stuff. So you just see them in class. But, you know, I didn't really hang out too much with the football players.
3: I think we have our quote poll for the week. Chasing pussy is a sport.
4: Case and Fussy is a sport.
3: <laughs> I can't I can't argue.
4: <laughs> no, but it, it, and not only did they get special treatment within the athletic department, but you also saw they would get special treatment with um, professors as well, too, which is always really sure. frustrating. Like they never took golf seriously. And I remember one guy, like a basketball player, fell asleep in class and the professor was like, let him sleep. He had like a difficult game the night wow. before. And then oh the same my- professor, I had to write a 20 page paper <laughs> the night before our final round in the conference championship. And he, he like didn't care at all. Not one bit. And he's like, and I told him I was like really busy. Can I get it done like the next day? And he's like, No, figure it out. Like it Wow. Yeah. So it was it was always really frustrating.
3: Yeah, if you're a golfer with like a 2.4 GPA, they're going to be like, seriously, like we're counting on you to bring up our overall student athlete GPA. (laughs) So that's unacceptable. But if you're like a great football player or basketball player with a 2.4, they'll be like, great job.
4: I know. I remember. I I worked so hard in this one class. I ended up getting a B in it, and this kid like didn't care at all. And I would like help him with his homework on A in the class. And I was like, How did you get an A in the class? <laughs>
3: that would be irony if if the kid you were tutoring, did better than you did yourself. He
4: did. He did. I know. I was I was so annoying, but that was annoying. And luckily, the NCAA right, they their wrongs. So they get they got them a weight room. But the March Madness tournament has been insane, and I can't wait to talk about it. More next week, but we're gonna take a little break. And when we come back, we're gonna do some TNA. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to do some TNA today. So I put up on the podcast account any tips or advice or golf, anything like literally whatever you guys want to talk to me about. So I pulled four questions from that and we're just going to go over it. So the first one is what was your most memorable round of golf and why? So I think I've told this story before. I have two of them. One is, oh, I actually have three when I think about it. Okay so my my top 3 would be um the conference championship my senior year at SDSU I was team captain We were working so hard all season. It was the best team we've had and we ended up winning and it was the first time in SDSU women's golf history that we won a conference championship and it was so much fun and it was at Mission Hills and so we got to jump into Poppy's Pond and I just have so many pictures of us like jumping in as a team and holding the trophy and it was such a great way to like wrap up my college golf career because I had such a hard time. In college, <laughs> I had a great junior golf career, and then I went to University of Arizona, where I, I struggled a lot. Just like the transition of you know being homeschooled into real life, being around kids my own age, and you know having a schedule that you know I didn't make, and it was really hard. So end up not being the right fit for me, transferred to San Diego State. And at that point, like, I didn't want to play golf anymore. I hated it so much. I lost the the drive and my determination. And I always wanted to play professionally. And throughout those, like, four years of just having kind of, like, a shitty experience in college, I just didn't want to play anymore. And I really struggled the start of my senior year um, a lot with, like, my mental health. I was struggling with, you know, um, food at the time and my body and um I went on antidepressants and my anxiety was really bad. It was probably one of the lowest points in my entire life. And so to turn that around for the second semester to play really great golf to, you know, kind of mend my relationship with my college coach and to be really close with my teammates, it meant so much to me that I kind of overcame everything before and it kind of sparked my love for golf again and that's when I decided I did want to play professionally, so that was a really memorable one. I would say the next two, like celebrity events, just it was memorable because of the people I played with. Was I played this par three tournament? Uh, it was the Bass Pro Celebrity Par Three event, and I played. My partner was Justin Timberlake, and I played against Gary Player and Mark Wahlberg. So I mean, it was crazy to play with like legends. <laughs> In the entertainment world, and then also in the golf world with Gary Player. And I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I was so nervous. I felt so insecure the entire time because I was like the least known person out of like all of the golfers and all the celebrities. And it was just a lot. Like it was a lot for me to handle. It was a lot of anxiety. It was a lot of self-doubt. It was, I just, again, didn't feel like I deserved to be there. And I ended up playing really well. A Gary player was really complimentary of my game, and Mark Wahlberg and Justin like couldn't have been nicer. And so, an experience that I was so nervous about ended up being such an amazing experience. And so, my last one will definitely be the Celebrity Cup that I played on Tiger's team. So it was like a Ryder Cup kind of format where um Tiger Woods and Fred Couples were the captains and Tiger Woods was my captain and I was paired with Nick Jonas from the Jonas Brothers and that doesn't mean anything to you guys but you know growing up he was like I mean the Jonas Brothers were like the Beatles for us you know they were like the coolest people ever and it was so like I had the biggest crush on him, and I don't know. He was just one person that I've always wanted to meet and that I was so excited to play golf with. And so we ended up playing against um, Chris Pratt and Luke Wilson. Again, Chris Pratt being a huge comic book fan and seeing him in the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, he's a major movie star and kind of like the Bass pro of it. I was very nervous. I didn't feel like I belonged there. We're already like legends and... The entertainment industry were there and, you know, professional athletes, current and former who, you know, like won Super Bowls and championships and, you know, like everyone knows who they are. And then it's like little old me teeing it up. And I like look back and it's like Tiger's my captain. It was just such like a surreal moment. Ended up playing really well. Uh, Nick Jonas and I won our our match and our team ended up winning too. And so that was just like a really, really awesome experience. I would say probably those are the top three in my entire career. So the next question is low cuts. Are they the hardest full swing shot in golf? No, actually, I feel like low cuts are very simple to hit once you figure out how to hit it. It took me a while to like figure out how my hands were working through it, but all you need to do, and I got this tip from My pro, Scott Watkins, who kind of taught me the game, and he said to hit a low cut, you actually move in really close to it and you don't have to do anything because if you move close to it, it makes your club a little bit more upright. And then from there, it's gonna make your swing more steep as well because you can't come around and behind you for it. So all you need to really do is stand close to the golf ball and that's how you hit a low cut. And once he told me that, it completely changed my entire outlook on that shot. And it's such a simple shot. So you can put the ball a little back in your stance. If you want, you can kind of close the club, but you almost don't even need to do any of that because just moving really close to the ball changes everything for you. So if you struggle with hitting low cuts, try that literally just move like, uncomfortably close to the golf ball and to start to really exaggerate it. And then from there, you can move farther back if you want, if that's a little bit too close. But when I say exaggerate it and feel uncomfortable, do it because that's how close I am. Like I am so uncomfortably close and it feels like I'm not even gonna hit the golf ball. And then you hit it and it's like this perfect little like low butter cut. So I would say it's not as hard of a shot as you think it is, but I would say the hardest shot in golf would be a 50 50, like a 40 to 80 yard bunker shot that is by far the hardest shot in golf you have to clip the shot absolutely perfectly unlike other bunker shots where you want to catch a lot of sand you don't actually want to catch a lot of sand so it takes a lot of touch in your hands and knowing how to hit this shot so i've talked about this on my youtube channel so if you want to see a tutorial of me doing it you guys can go check it out there but um it's just practice so either go to the golf course late, late, late in the afternoon and try to find a bunker and practice it out there. The shot's difficult because there's never really any places that you can practice the shot because most practice areas, short game areas don't have a bunker. And if they do have a bunker, it's green side. So you can never practice a long bunker shot. So that's why I think this shot is so difficult. So either find a practice area that does have a bunker that you can practice long bunker shots or go out on the golf course late afternoon when no one else is out there and just practice the shot all day long. And from there, it's actually pretty simple. Okay, next question is, how do you know when you need to get refitted for new clubs? So for me, it's when I feel like my swing, I'm swinging it well and I'm hitting it well, but the shot's not doing what I want it to do. So that's when I know I need to get refit for new clubs, or if things change with my body or um, my swing, that's also a sign that you need to get refit for new clubs. Most times they can just check your loft and lie, and it, that's an easy, quick fix to change things because your clubs bend over time too, especially if you travel a lot. So I will get my loft and lie checked pretty rec- pretty consistently, just so I know that they're always you know, lined up perfectly. And also one club can bend more than the others. So I was really struggling with my five iron a little bit ago and every single other iron was perfect. Swing was the same, hitting it was great, I, perfect little fades. And then with my five iron, I was hitting these huge that hooks and i didn't know why and so i went to club champion and i was like there's something weird with my 5 iron he's like oh yeah like it's bent and so we just have to fix the loft and lie so there's little things like that they don't even realize that it's, <laughs> it's not always you actually is the club sometimes so If there's something a little bit weird, or if you're hitting your irons great, but you're not hitting your driver great or your woods great, then that might be a sign to get new woods or vice versa. So everything should be lined up the same or, or if you're hitting, you know, big high fades with your driver, but draws with your irons, then you should probably get that looked out as well. So everything across the board should be pretty consistent. And also, like I said, if you, if for juniors, if you're growing, then you obviously you're going to need new clubs. If you don't feel like you're as strong as you used to be, then you should probably change the shafts out. So there's small little changes, I think, when people think getting refit, that it's like a whole new bag and whole new irons, and that's not actually the case. Like you can go into a club champion and say, hey, I need my loss and lives fixed. And they'd be like, perfect, easy. I need my glove, my, um <laughs> I've been talking a lot, it's hard to talk. I need my grips fixed. And they go, okay, we'll just regrip all your clubs for you. Or it's the shafts or the club head. Like, you don't need to go in if you don't want to and get everything refit. You can go in for small little things. And I think that's the best thing. And always be consistent with it because, like I said, your clubs can bend or change over time. And also, the grips as well, they can turn or they will wear down. So if you just want a small little fix, go to someone like Club Champion and they can just change things out for you. Or even like the club face, if you want a new club face, but in the same model, sometimes I'll do that with my Mizunos. I just want new fresh grooves on it, but I love everything else. And so they'll just pop the new club heads on. So it's pretty easy. And I think that's the best way of going about it compared to going to like getting clubs off the rack, because you never know if they're going to fit you. And you also aren't going to know if Lofts and Lies are always consistent. And so like, it's great to go somewhere else and get that done. So you can even buy clubs off the rack and get laughs and lies checked or grips checked or things changed at club champion too. So there's always tons of ways to go about it. Okay. So the last question, and I feel like I needed to address this for a while and I wasn't sure how to talk about it. So, um, The question is, what caused the format change? Do you still talk to ProTor? So I didn't directly address Tori or Josh when I talked about the direction change. And why I wanted the direction change, which I have explained before, is that I wanted to have a sports podcast. When I started this out, I wanted it to be golf. And it kind of morphed into something that I wasn't too happy about. I didn't like when I was proposed questions that were turned into, you know, a clickbait headline. And I wanted it just to be about sports. And so that was part of the reason why we changed the format. And there was a lot of things going on that, you know, I wasn't happy with. And so we just had to make some changes and when it comes to Tori, I love Tori. I was just talking to her yesterday. Um, she was on board about all of this. She was in the loop. There's no bad blood between us. I think you could see through the chemistry in the show that we were really close friends, um, on the show and outside of the show. And we still will always be really close friends. And I miss Tori for sure. And I hope that, you know, she'll be on in some future episodes. And then when it comes to Josh, um, frankly, like, He's a really great, really great guy. But on the podcast, we, we didn't really vibe. And I think at times we just kind of struggled and we didn't quite have that chemistry. We didn't vibe all that well. Sometimes in a podcast setting, it's hard to find that right mix. And so moving forward, um, This isn't the format that's always going to be the same. And I think I want you guys to realize that, too. This is ever changing. We're going to bring new people in. We're going to transition people out. We're going to always do things a little bit different. We're always going to switch, you know, change it up, mix it up. I just want you guys to be open to the fact that, you know, this podcast is always going to be changing. And I hope it's changing because that means that I'm growing and I'm changing. And I think that's a really good thing as well. I think Teddy and I work really well together. I want to thank him for like stepping in when, you know, I needed him. And I, you also were talking a lot about like the betting content. So I work with PointsBet outside of this podcast and I really enjoy it. I love it because I'm able to work in so many other sports now, not just golf, which is something that I think you guys know I have a passion for. And we've tried to do betting segments before and you guys asked for betting segments, but we didn't have someone who was able to talk about that And also to talk about sports, all of the sports, not just golf. And so adding Teddy in, I think, has been really great for the substance of the show. No, Having someone who is so knowledgeable, not just about golf, but so many other different sports. And also a little bit of the betting, too, because I do think that's the wave of the future. So again... As it is now, is not always going to be like this. It's always going to be changing. Always new people are going to be coming in. I think you guys are going to love it. And I appreciate you always sticking by me through the ups and the downs, the good shows and the bad shows. But I'm really excited about this new direction and where we're going. And I feel so much better about it. I have been extremely happy with the direction that it's going in. And I think you know this is great for my future and what I want to do. And I just think it's a better show and it's going to continue to get better. So I hope that you guys will listen, continue listening, and keep supporting. You guys are so great. So again, I want to thank you for listening to today's shows and all of the shows and being so awesome and the best and believing in me and trusting me. Whew, long-winded <laughs> answer to that question. But again, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and you can catch us here next week.
3: Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on IR Radio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Until now through May 14th, visit LiveNation.com slash to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually